Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome to another episode of Better Words. Hello, I... I'm going to disappoint you all because I don't have a recommendation this week. I'm just getting that out of the way real early. Uh, It has been a bit of a struggle. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's a disappointment. I think a reading slump is relatable. We've all been there, Michelle. Mm. Yeah, we've read so many good books this season as well. I think that's definitely contributed to how I'm feeling. Um, And like we tried, this was meant to be a book club week and we tried we really tried. We had a book picked out. Um, I'd got it from the library. I asked Caitlin to go get it from the library. It sounded really good. And to be fair, I actually think it probably is a really good book. But I started it and it's about a young woman in her 20s whose father has um, like early onset Parkinson's. And I did skip forward and I checked the um, story graph content warnings and he dies And I just texted Caitlin and was like, I don't think I can do this book. (laughs) And she was like, that's fine. (laughs) So it's totally fine. Yeah. And then we actually tried to pick another one and we just, both of us weren't vibing. Like we, (laughs) yeah, I feel like it's one of those ones that you need to maybe read over a few, like it's definitely like a slower one. And because I got it from the library, I was just like not vibing it. And yeah. (laughs) So It's, it's hard sometimes these yeah like (laughs) I mean I sort of joke about this to other people all the time when they're asking about what I'm reading and I think I was eating lunch at work with a couple of people last week and I said I was like oh I really want to read insert book here and I was like oh but I can't (laughs) I was like but I can't as if it's like so dramatic because of course we um we are reading all these books for these interviews and try and read books for book club and recommendations and also keeping in mind our monthly wrap up Mm. as well. And I mean, this is all internalized pressure that we put on ourselves (laughs) to give you all different recommendations all the time. Um, On on this free, on this free podcast that we do in our spare time for, for nothing. (laughs) We just want to create the good top content um, to the point where we go, oh, well, we won't read, you know, this new book by this wonderful author that we love just yet because <laughs> just yet. we can't recommend it again on the podcast or something, <laughs> yeah, you know, like true. we yeah, we do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then we were like, let's do recommendations this week. And I was like, that's great. And then I abandoned three books in a row um and then I finally found one I wanted to read and I haven't finished it yet so at time of recording and I'm pretty confident that I'm gonna love it so I'll probably tell you about it anyway but um yeah (laughs) it's just been because also fun little news update Jack and I got our visas approved so we are officially moving to the UK which is so exciting, but also we're moving in July, which is really not very long away. And I'm trying to be really serious about culling my book collection, especially of books that have been on my shelf for ages. So I did the craziest thing um, this weekend and I went around and put um, like separated my unread books in a list on my phone into like the years that I think that I acquired them. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. And then... I either started trying to read, like how to look at the first pages of a couple or looked at reviews for for some that I really have not picked up for years and years and years. And if the reviews were bad or like the first few pages didn't grab me, I put them in a box for the charity shop. So I'm going to keep doing that. And every time I pick up a new book, I'm going to try and pick up the ones that have been on my shelf the longest. Um, even if I don't want, even if I don't read them straight away, I kind of want to know that I want to read them, if that makes sense, like that I still want to read them. Um, and I'm doing a bit of, yeah, digging through, um, reviews and stuff, especially of ones that I picked up that have not been recommended to me by other people. Um, cause yeah, if you haven't heard much about them since they came out or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, <laughs> it's horrible to say, but sometimes these books that you think you could be so interested in when they first come out a few years down the line, you just kind of go, eh, did I miss the boat? Yeah, and like, yeah exactly. Yeah. And like there were some books that I think have been on my shelf for like nine or ten years. I'm a very different person and I just was like, mm, yeah, I don't think I'm going to read this. So I start. I'm trying to look at it as I'm. I'm giving someone else the option of finding. I hope, like you know, I'm giving that book the option of finding a new home <laughs> where somebody yeah, will love we'll it. Appreciate exactly. it more. Exactly. Someone will love it. Um, and I'm just trying to be a little bit more realistic about things. And I'm also trying to come up with a list of books that, um, maybe are the Australian trade paperbacks that are very big and bulky that I would can easily get in the UK, like Vary McFarlane books, for example, that are huge over here, like physically big, um, that I could get in a, like a B format paperback edition quite easily in the UK. So um, I think I may even do that with Janice Hallett's books as well, um, just to try and like try and reduce the amount of stuff that I'm shipping over. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the literal space. Yeah. And really try to think like, am I going to want to reread this book again? Or the other criteria is, is it an Australian book that I might want to reread and I'm, I'm not going to be able to get over there or a book that I really loved. Um, but this whole process is really making me question and think about my book buying and like my motives for keeping books and just like making me interrogate that whole collecting sort of thing so there's nothing like moving lots it doesn't have to be overseas but certainly helps um to make you question why you own as many books as you do absolutely i mean you're saying this and i'm like looking past my computer screen to my two quite tall bookshelves that are absolutely crammed with books and yeah i've moved like effectively once in my life um you know where I actually moved a lot of books that I own and you know it wasn't like in my parents moving truck kind of thing (laughs) when I moved into state and I've bought one of these bookshelves since I moved here and this collection has like doubled for sure you know we've had four years of doing the podcast four years of working and publishing uh hello I've acquired a lot of books I've and I've moved Um, house just since we've been home from Australia and I've got books out of storage and there are some that I still yeah. not read. So it is, it is, things are going, things are going. It is tough. Yeah. yeah. So before you tell us all a little <laughs> bit about the book you are reading, that's not a real recommendation. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> um, do you want to hear my two not real recommendations? Cause no one needs to hear them from me. Yeah. But also like what ended up happening with you while I was, you know, abandoning books left, right and center and creating a, a, you know, Um, filling a box full of like 20 books to give away what were you doing this weekend (laughs) so what I did upon you know receiving your message that um you didn't think this book club pick was for us (laughs) I was like you know maybe she'll uh, just read it my library reservation oh no you just didn't get it (laughs) so I cancelled my no funnily enough my aunt Monica picks it up when she went to the library on Saturday anyway and I was like that's so funny I cancelled that and it was like still on the shelf I think it'll be Um, a good book I'm out I I think it will be a good book it's just not what I'm emotionally prepared for state of like but we've got like I've got to like think about the actual plan of other things to read and recommend and other book clubs that anyway we'll see but I so technically I cancelled that reservation we tried to pick the other book on Saturday morning, you were like, oh, my God, we can't. And I was like, you know what? Let's abandon this plan and we're here now. So on Saturday morning, having not actually started either of those books because you did the heavy lifting, <laughs> I picked up Happy Place and read half of it on Saturday. Nice. So Happy Place by Emily Henry um, is now the third book of hers I've read and I've still not read Beach Read, which I know is the only one that you have read. Um, so Happy Place, I actually think of all of them that I've read so far, Michelle, you would like the most. It's so funny definitely. because our friend Alicia said this as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. She agreed. Yeah, me. I'll borrow it so, from her when I'm in the UK. Yeah, I think you would really like it. And I did see a review. I feel bad now. I can't remember who it was, but someone I saw a review and said she really feels like this book brings Emily Henry more into Beth O'Leary and Barry McFarlane territory. Oh. Yes. More than <laughs> more than like the fun rom com. It really is like a great exploration of evolving friendships and this group of friends that have been together since like college 
age and they're adults and getting married and having babies and like what what does that mean for them and they're how they interact with each other oh great that's going to send me Um, another existential crisis i'm sure (laughs) yeah sorry so you know save it for a good time but it's still very fun to read um and yeah like i said i read half of it on saturday um and i finished it this morning at some point um and the other thing i did on the weekend was watch all of queen charlotte (laughs) on netflix yeah um so i actually through work uh had the opportunity to go to the sydney screening of queen charlotte um that netflix held um here and we watched the first episode but it was so fun and watching the first episode of this show with a crowd i was like oh i want to watch all of bridgerton with a crowd because we were all like giggling and laughing and you could it's for anyone who's seen the queen charlotte series which i'm sure a lot of people have at least seen the first episode by now been out for a week (laughs) there is a moment towards the end of the first episode where oh man if you were all in that theater with us as we sort of started to turn on prince george and we were like what are you doing (laughs) king george i should say um oh man it was so funny to watch as part of a crowd um and then i watched the rest of the series over the weekend and it was really really fun but yeah, God, it is more, um, it's more sad and more like tough, I think, than the other two Bridgerton series so far. I mean, the first two Bridgerton series, their like main relationship conflict is like, what, like in the, um, the second series, he was supposed to be marrying her sister and he was in love with the sister. And in the first one, it was just like he just hated his father and didn't want to have children or something. Like, I don't even really remember. Like, such not really critical relationship dramas. And in this one, um, historical but taken, any liberties taken are very deliberate or something is the line. Mm. And so it does deal with you know, in this version of the story, Queen Charlotte is a black woman and the uniting of the different um, societies and everything to come together in the ton, which, you know, it's just a lot of racism and everything from the rich white people. And uh, King George's mental illness, um, which is not specifically named in the series. And, you know, historically, I don't think we would really know exactly what it was. He's just referred to as mad. Um, mm. And like, that's, we just kind of know he was mad and what that really was or what we would call it more accurately now. I don't really know if anyone knows. And that's based on a real person, right? Well, yeah. King George, King, oh my God, what was King George. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I swear I've heard people talk about mad King George. Like I. Yeah. So King George and Queen Charlotte were like, Real yeah, literally, if you Google family, Mad King George, yeah, it's a... Yeah, yeah so, and then yeah. because he was mad, his son was Prince Regent and ruled on his behalf, which is why it's called the Regency Era. Oh, okay. Because oh. he was the Prince Regent ruling on his behalf. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Fun history lesson. Fun I didn't know that either. I felt like kind of an idiot, but I didn't, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not an expert in any of these areas. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so two recommendations that I'm sure no one listening is like, oh, I hadn't heard. Thanks, Caitlin. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone who wants to has probably watched or read. Yeah, true. Those things already. Well, it's funny because I also binged a TV series before the whole debacle with the abandoning books thing, um, like towards the end of last week when Jack works late shift every second week. And so I have free reign of the TV of a night and I watched – like a classic British six episode season over two nights and I was totally hooked. So, you know, if you'll allow me the indulgence, it's funny because my recommendation, probably half the people are going to be like, I can't watch this anyway and I don't care. So, you know, (laughs) it's probably just as useless. Not that yours is useless, but you know what I mean? (laughs) It's a classic, it's a classic me recommendation because it's called Blue Lights and it's a cop drama set in Belfast what a surprise um is it new it is new it is new new no it is new and um 
as soon as I finished season one, I immediately were Googling like, is there going to be a season two? And there is. And I think it's one of those cop dramas where like you just fall in love with the people. So it primarily follows three uh, new police recruits in like their final set of probation sort of stuff. So um, they're paired with someone who's a bit more experienced and it sort of follows what they do. But the like thread running through it is um, their encounters with sort of um, like an organized crime family who have always been very well looked after, I guess. And actually we sort of learn maybe under surveillance from like other parts of the government, like this, like the outside of the police force so the the beat cops are getting told like don't interfere with these people but they're like um they're breaking the law and it's all sort of goes a bit higher up and stuff it gets a bit line of duty in that respect but I just loved all the characters dealing with different things there is one young woman who really really wants to be a cop um but she gets a threat against her life and she has to sort of decide like does she want to continue this enough to like move away from her mum and her family and her small village and like pursue this or does she like go into hiding essentially? Um, there's also a really emotional sort of storyline about one of the recruits, Grace, who sort of come into this late, I think used to work in like social work um, and has she's like older woman, has a, like a son in his like his 20s. We don't really know the backstory, but her son is black and she's a single mum. So I don't know, um, you know, whether like his father was black or if he's adopted. Like they don't really explain that, but there is some really um, sort of interesting stuff where there is another cop outside of her station who does like quite like racial profiling on him and he mm-hmm. sort of confronts her as his mum and he's like, you do not understand what it's like for me. And I think that moving into season two that is hopefully something that dynamic between them that will explore yeah um and there were just like all the characters were so lovely and just it was funny how immediately like even after one episode I was like oh my god I love these characters I just want to hang out with them like they I I I was like I just need to watch the next episode I wasn't even that concerned about the crimes I was like I just want to see what these characters are doing and there's one of where's one guy as well who um he really needs to pass his shooting exam and he's a terrible shot. And like, there's this whole thing oh. of like, is he going to pass it? You know, if he doesn't pass it, he's going to have to drop out. And um, his mentor is really funny and like, he's trying to help him and stuff. And yeah, it's just, it's a really clever, a really interesting being set in Belfast as well. Um, I feel like they brought up some stuff that like maybe an English drama wouldn't, um, and yeah, it was just really interesting. I'm looking forward to season two. And that was just a random find where I had said to Jack, here's a list of things that I'm interested in. Cause that's what my brain's like. I need to be like, write down what I'm interested in. So I don't forget it on well, like six streaming services. Um, and he was like, nah, I don't really want to watch that. So I was like, great. I'll watch it while you're at work and just flew through it. It was so good. And I was like, you missed out. It was very good. Um, so yeah, that is on BBC iPlayer I don't know whether it's available anywhere else although um often stuff that's on iPlayer will come to binge so it might come to binge soon Um, yeah so it's just like a random thing it is not something that I think you would necessarily watch Caitlin but I really enjoyed Mm. it I really enjoyed it um and then the second thing which you know I will come back on and confirm this as a recommendation I feel really awkward giving a recommendation for a book I have not yet finished but I am loving it so far so forgive me for not having finished (laughs) it first um but the book that I'm reading and absolutely loving is Double Booked by Lily Linden this is one that we bought at Gaze the Word and there's a little Gaze the Word appearance in the book as well yeah it's so cool and I almost I was like oh should I get a pencil and just like do a little note in the margin to be like you bought this book here and I was like I'll remember that but anyway um it's so much fun basically our main character Gina um is hanging out with her friend Soph at a gay bar when she starts to maybe question her sexuality a little bit and she comes to the realization that she is bi the only problem is that she is in a seven-year-long, very settled relationship with a boyfriend. And she's kind of a little bit worried at this point that he's going to propose to her. 
Um, so she starts experimenting um, as George, um, which is like her lesbian side, I guess, of being bi. And she joins <laughs> a lesbian band um, and she then has to figure out how to come out to her boyfriend um and she also is having lots of feelings for another woman in the band and it's just a bit messy but it's really good yeah. it's very funny if you like laura Kay's books you're gonna like this book in fact i'm pretty sure they're friends um very similar sort of humor and there's some really funny bits that i actually was texting caitlin being like this is this is really a funny joke um so yeah I'm really loving it. It's a very fun, very fun read. That does sound really fun. You'll love it, Caitlin. You really will. Very much like, and cue shenanigans. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. It's very, I mean, I know you love Laura Kay's book, so I, it's a very similar vibe of fun. And it's and it's probably a little bit like, and I wouldn't say it's as sad as Genevieve Novak books, It's but it's more like, yeah, it's like queer shenanigans, like, messy decisions and you're like oh my god you need to have this conversation and she doesn't and you just yeah so that sounds very fun yeah can highly recommend even though I haven't finished it yet (laughs) I think that's safe and with our you know actually kind of double yet sort of useless yet not finished recommendations (laughs) um we move on to a wonderful interview about a book that we can absolutely 100%, 1000% recommend. Today's guest is a Sydney-based author, a former magazine journalist, which used to be my dream job, turned digital marketer, which is sort of my job, avid reader, also me, And writer of lively love stories that span the globe, which sounds amazing. And we're here to chat about one of those stories right now. I'm going to try pronouncing it. <laughs> Duck a l'orange for breakfast. Welcome to Better Words, Karina May. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. And I think that's better pronunciation than I've ever done, to be honest. <laughs> I, had to cra- I had to crowdsource I really at my book that. launch and ask who spoke French yeah. and then I got them to introduce me. So I was, you know, <laughs> music. That's, a- <laughs> yeah. that's so good. I mean, it's such a such an intriguing title that I think, I mean, it caught my eye right away and like we were, you know, emailing and Mac try and get new on and everything and get this book and to be honest I don't even know if I knew what it was about but I was like look at this cover what an interesting title I'm like sign me up yeah I don't actually know how the title came to me it did come to me first but um, I don't speak French and I don't cook so yeah I'm still not sure how that arrived to me but it did um, obviously very <laughs> breakfast at Tiffany's vibe yeah um, and you can that. tell that from the cover as well yeah so good so on that amazing title and the amazing cover uh we probably should just we have to get into it and we do normally ask everyone straight away just tell us a bit about your book but I think this time we might actually start a bit before that with the personal experience that kind of triggered the book can you tell us about your brain surgery and how it inspired this book yeah sure so yeah there's a tiny slice of my own personal life in Max's story Maxine is the protagonist in Duck Um, and she undergoes two brain surgeries, which is something that I also experienced in 2019 and 2020. Um, and I think it was facing that, um, you know, health scare and just coming up against the surgery, um, that made me start to really question, uh, or really put in sharp focus what was important in my life, um, you know, it sounds cliche, but I think those experiences tend to do that. And I just became really fearful that I might wake up different, which is something that Maxine also fears. Um, And through that, I kind of learnt or discovered that I really liked who I was and I really liked the part of me that was creative and that that was something that I guess I wanted to take more seriously. Like I was already writing prior um, to writing this manuscript, but actually make a real goal of it. So 
that storyline or my personal experience definitely creeps into this book um, quite substantially. So yeah, when I went into the second surgery, I was already kind of the idea was well developed. So I joked that the second surgery was my field research trip. Um, so I could go and <laughs> get all the sight, the smells and the chatter in ICU and yet yeah, get the details and observational stuff. And I guess it was a way of turning something that wasn't the most amazing thing in my life into something that was a bit more joyful, which is why I was really keen to bring so much joy into this book as well. Even if you read, I guess, the description or the synopsis, it seems like it's all serious, but um, I like it to be thought of as like a really heartwarming and warm and fuzzy book. Yeah. So that was, yeah, how my life experience made its way into this story. It definitely is warm and fuzzy for sure. And I just don't yeah. think having read those sections where so clearly like your own emotions, not in uh, like I say clearly because I had seen your Instagram post about it before I read. So I sort of knew going into it that your own personal experience was part of this and it wasn't reading it going, oh, she's just talking about herself or anything like that. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a memoir or anything like that, but it felt so authentic that I just sort of feel like you couldn't necessarily capture those, especially like the waking up in ICU scenes and stuff, unless you, as a journalist, you know, interviewed someone or had, you would really need to have someone who experienced that um, to explain all those things. Cause I think it's all those little things that you don't immediately think of as someone on the outside that actually make it feel super authentic, if that makes sense. No, that's, that's great to hear. I think obviously authenticity was something that was super important to me. Um, and I've been, yeah, I've received obviously quite a bit of feedback now. The book's been out for a few weeks, just about how serious things are often written so seriously. Mm. And um, yeah, a comparison even to Fault in the Stars, which is obviously more of a YA, YA book. Um, but yeah, how you can... my point was that my life still went on and I still you know was dating and being a functional adult in in the world and had friendships to maintain and family like none of those things went on hold just because I was going and going to work all all of those things were still happening Mm. so I was really um, purposeful from the very beginning that I didn't want um, the health or sick lit thing to be the leading storyline and it to be part of like a bigger world um, and obviously the message of you can and deserve the life that you want, which does in this story happen to mean the man as well. Um, But yeah, I wanted to take the details of my experience and just use it to color the story rather than to like weight it down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's interesting that you say about the, the cichlid um, not being the main part of the story because you almost could not have that in the story. I mean, plenty of, um, oh, it would still you know, be such a fun rom-com oh, like, without it. Yeah, have these like, oh, like after being cheated on, like rebuilding your life and yourself and that kind of stuff. Like you almost like Max could have a very full story without brains. Yeah, it's true. It's just whatever that defining moment or what that crossroads is that makes yeah. you stop and like hold a mirror up to your life and mm. say like, am I happy with the way I'm living it? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But like, we, we don't mean that in like, it's just such a, it adds such a beautiful depth to it. We're not saying at all that like, oh, it would have been fine without it. Like, it, no, it, no, it's absolutely like, it just adds, it, it just it, like, that could stand alone as like a really fun romance novel that, you know, would make mm. such a fun read. It would be Very, a like book, Nora course, Ephron, like yeah. all that sort of stuff. But I think the depth of her experience and just the, I, I really loved reading about how that affected her relationship with her parents and her friends and even just, as you said, even yourself of like your fears of, am I going to be the same person? Like, is this, I think that's such like valid things to be questioning. And I just really enjoyed seeing how Max dealt with, dealt with that. Um, just for people who maybe haven't like seen your Instagram post or anything like that and, and might be thinking, oh my God, brain surgery, that's super serious. Do you have like a cancer? Um, can you like tell us a little bit about, I guess, what your tumors were? And then I guess if that's exactly the same as what you explore in the, in the book with Max. So I had a benign tumor um, and my operation was done through the nose, which is the same as Max. So um, 
in that way, like the recovery, you know, I think is a lot better than some other brain tumors. So it's not identical. I'm quite vague in the book as to what type of tumor and that's on purpose just as well. I think, um, I've had so many people again, like the, the health element, um, people that just love to see on the page, like health health whether it's endo or whatever it may be i've had lots of messages of people reading the book waiting like in a doctor's surgery um and just knowing again that these are things that often you know until i did that instagram post which i was quite you know a bit nervous to do most people in my life unless they were super close to me didn't even know about that experience so that was a big thing to share but i just thought i really wanted to own the story and and say that you know i have experience um, to write this story in this way. But yeah, I think often we don't know what is happening behind closed doors for people in many respects, not just health. So I guess to see that mirrored back on the page for people um, has been quite empowering. And that's been such a delight as well. I kind of just, it's something I didn't share because it was something that, um, yeah, it's not quite, it's not very common. So I'd never thought that I could share a health message of go and get checked or anything like that. Um, But I hadn't thought about people applying it just to health in general like it might not necessarily be a brain tumor but something that they're suffering through um and only a close amount of people know maybe people at work don't know and just having the comfort of knowing that you're not alone I think we all we lo- all love to feel that we're not alone yeah absolutely what is I think I heard something the other day that it's like the 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 thing of feeling like you're the only one going through something is actually like the most common like it's funny that we all think we're the only one going through something but we're all feeling like we're the only one or something it was like something it was a really clever like way of wording it and I was like oh that's so true like we all think we're the only ones going through something but it's so you're so right like just and I mean this is what I love doing in my role as a journalist as well is like telling people's stories when it is just even just like their normal life. Like I've got a story going out the day after we record this about the World Transplant Games and it is just recounting someone's story with experiencing two kidney transplants. And, you know, you if you met him, you would never even know that he had been through all of that or that, you know, I met his mum and you wouldn't know that she donated her kidney. Like it's, it is, you like you said, you don't know what's going on, but I also think just showing life after um you know big things like that it is really helpful too to just be like actually you can like you say live your life be dating do all this other stuff you know yeah the world doesn't stop yeah and so that post as well you did share that you know I guess your experience um waking up as well um and some you know quite jumbled uh messages there like on the notes app sort of were the spark the book can you tell us a little bit more about yeah like literally actually writing the story and how that all came to you after your surgery just like max in the story the first thing well not the first thing but you know one of the things i asked for an icu was my headphones to listen to my audiobook um and that's a scene that's in the book um so that's i just thought you know that was a way that i could test that my brain was working um and they did say. I, it was a, I also was like, yeah, I would be time. like, I need my podcast, <laughs> thank you, because yeah. I, I just can't not be consuming something. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know it, they said it was the first time they'd been asked to listen to an audiobook. I mean, mostly in ICU, people are out for the count, yeah. but when you've had any work on your brain, you're not allowed to be. That's so really I'm like, yeah, I know all these things you don't know until I'm like, why can't I be like them? Like they're sleeping. Like, <laughs> They look really comfy. And they're like, we need to make sure your brain works. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. So then um, after I had some drugs pumped in and listened to my audiobook, I started to get confident. And I thought I can open my notes on my phone and start typing a few thoughts. Um, so, yeah, what I posted on Instagram was a screenshot of some of them, which I call word salad because at the time I remember them really comforting me. I thought, yeah, she's still got it. Like, this is amazing. Um, and so those notes stay on my phone kind of untouched. Um, maybe there was something I pulled from there, but I think just the essence of that. Um, but I think I kind of laughed my way through it and I kind of laughed my way through life when you know, shit goes, I feel like that's the best way to do it, isn't it? Like yeah. if, so, um, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I remember in ICU kind of being like, you're ridiculous. Like, why are you doing this? This is so silly. And I was, I kept saying like, I, I'm on a deadline, you know, like the, the pun and it just, you know, it was just like the only way I could cope. Yeah. Um, so after that surgery, before I knew I had to have a second one, I did write maybe like 10,000 words of the story, but it's that typical thing of write from um, scars, not wounds. It was just all too fresh. And luckily, yeah. you know, I then had to reface it, which, you know, that was a big thing. It's less of a thing for Max in the book, actually. But for me personally, I just thought I've already done that. <laughs> so that was a bit of a mind thing. And I think from there, then I just started to feel really empowered by taking the narrative and just, you know, running with it and so it was after the second surgery um, that I started to properly pen the story um, so I think all in all it was probably like an 18-month process from when I went go um, because of the personal experience um, that is in a lot of the book it did flow and I think I had the clarity of yeah some distance as well from the experience and knowing that I was okay as well like I think if I was in the midst of treatment and still going through it I don't it would be a very different book maybe a lot darker <laughs> so yeah. Uh, it's, yeah easier to laugh when you're on the other side as well yeah and do you think yeah, that like once you like after the second surgery and that writing process was a bit cathartic in a way that you could kind of go back over it as you say being on the other side um, knowing that things are okay totally yeah totally and I've yeah since you know I still have to go for checkups and everything and I've told everyone I've written a book and now I'm a bit scared <laughs> um, <laughs> you know they'll read it and um you know think you know they're the characters so am I hot I Dr fictionalize... Alexander <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that one I don't mind so much right <laughs> yeah I mean I, I, I would like to I fictionalized, you know, so the, the brain surgery stuff, that is definitely experienced, but all characters are fictional. You can read it in the, the little disclaimer at the beginning, <laughs> all fictionalized. Love it. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so good. Um, and then before we move on to talking about the other elements of the story, I suppose apart from the brain surgery plot, can you tell us a bit more about the about Max's story in Ducks? Yeah, sure. So, okay. I mean, it's also... tell us about the book part two kind of question. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because we were saying about, you know, what we read and like, I think heartbreak is pretty well covered in romance, right? So it's mm. like you feel less alone because you can pick up a book and see heartbreak on the pages. So, you know, that is a huge part of the story as well. So we meet Max in Duck at the hardest time in her life. So not only has she been diagnosed with this brain tumour, she catches her long-term partner in bed with another woman. So, yeah, she moves in with her bestie, Alice, who's, you know, the quirky best friend who signs her up to Tinder um, to encourage her to kind of, you know, pass the time with some flirting and banter on Tinder before her surgery and just also get to get over her heartbreak. Uh, and then she meets her Tinder match, Johnny, who's like a charming, cheeky lad. Um, and they start bantering away and cooking through the recipe book of Scott, which is her ex's family recipe book, the Laurent family recipe book. And they're like a pretentious French family. So Johnny, which is the Tinder match and Max start to cook through it without ever meeting in person. So the cookbook drop is done at an Ikea and I had lots of fun kind of writing the Ikea. Yeah. We want to ask about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the story travels to Paris because I don't think that we can have a book that includes French cooking and not go to France. So yeah, there's a lot of elements in this story. Um, it sounds quite busy, but um, I have been told that it all does work together. It does. <laughs> yes, it yeah, does. I mean, Absolutely. like I said, like these, we dissect all these things, but you know, um, and we spend like an hour talking about them with you, but honestly, you like get so swept up in the story, you sort of don't even notice really. Yeah. I read it over the Easter long weekend and I was staying um, with my brother um, and I was reading it and he was like, oh, what's your book about? Or whatever, because I think I showed him the cover. And as we've discussed, the classic, like, uh, what? <laughs> like, and I was telling him about it when I was, I don't know, maybe halfway through or something. Don't want to give anything away. And then the next day I was, like, reading again and he just goes, has she met the Tinder guy yet? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. <laughs> that's really cute. Um, So course we've mentioned french cooking um gorgeous food yes. descriptions throughout why did you want to add this well actually the cooking didn't come first it was i was just looking for something for max to do in between the surgery like 
you know, to while away that time. So I was trying to come up with like a hobby or something that she could do. And then a I, project. yeah, a project. And then I did remember, um, this is something that I did in a different form. I want to say 15 years ago, maybe with an old flatmate, um, where randomly the cookbook of her sister's ex's family made its way into her things. Oh. Um, yeah and so we found the cookbook but it was homely recipes it was like apple pies and stroganoff and so we started cooking them because we thought it was really funny like there was a leak in the family you know and yeah like we were had the kernels herbs and spices and we shouldn't have had them these random girls um so i think we only cooked like two recipes before she found out the sister found out and she didn't think it was very funny because it had been a bad breakup um, she didn't oh. want any part of this family, but I think that stayed with me. So when I thought about, oh, she could cook, that idea just came back to me. And then I thought, oh, like I can maybe merge this. What I failed to acknowledge was the fact that I don't cook. Um, so uh, I love writing about travel. I travel a lot, but I don't cook a lot. So I'm not naturally writing about food <laughs> regularly. Um, so I thought as a reader, if I read a book about food firstly I would be in it for the descriptions and secondly I'd be pretty pissed if I got to the end and the recipes weren't there so I thought okay I've got to work out like how I can provide this to the reader um, and I had a couple of friends that were recipe developers but health food so that wasn't going to work with French food <laughs> <laughs> with the truckloads of butter yeah. um, and then randomly a friend of mine mentioned that her brother was living in Geneva, um, which is really near France and had developed this passion for French cooking because uh, he got all this local produce. Um, so she said, let's give him a call. And literally when we called him on WhatsApp, he answered and kind of said, oh, I've just made this fragois. Like it was just this serendipitous timing thing. So yeah. he came on board to do this with me before I had a publishing deal. Um, and so he's the one that helped me a lot. Like he wasn't, I still actually don't think he's read the book, but in terms of the language, when he, we were working out kind of the recipes and the menu, he would say stuff like, well, he said a sentence that's made it into the book, which is artichokes the size of soccer balls at the market should be doing artichoke dish. So I really used him for the language because he was so passionate about food in the way that I wasn't. So mm. I was just extremely lucky that he's a kind of creative guy that was just up for some fun. Um, and then I was like, oh, hey, we have a pub deal now, so we have a deadline. <laughs> so he was kind of just, <laughs> he was cooking like one a week, just like the family meal. He's got um, a family. And so it was just kind of doing it slowly and then kind of had to up the ante once we had deadlines and everything. Um, we like, so I yeah. I need to test these recipes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, I still only just cook two of them. My publisher has cooked a few. Um, they're, some of them, are, they're four hours. I had a grand idea that, in the lead up to launch, I was going to cook them all, like as a little pre-pub thing. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> it didn't happen. Yeah. yeah, so that's the background. Oh, I'm so excited what, to which try Which ones some. have you made? Well, I made, uh, it's a cheating one because I made the French silk pie, but I don't want to say why that's cheaty because it's a bit of a spoiler. Um, and the cream brulee, which has the naughtiest name in the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I love that. Yeah. Wonderful. And I love a dessert as well. Like, I think I would start yeah. with the desserts too. <laughs> well, the pie as well is cheating because it, it doesn't, it just goes in the fridge as well. So I don't know if that's technically cooking. It's <laughs> not, yeah, not what technically else? cooking or it's baking. Fine. Yeah. It's fine. That's so fun. Oh, wonderful. And I have to say, being, you know, not much of a, you know, a chef yourself, um, I even feel like I often will sort of say it's like I don't even know if I'm that like into food. Like I just, Caitlin, like, Caitlin, which sounds you literally said the words. Jack and I were like when we were all in London together. Jack and I were like we plan where we want to go in places based on what food we want to try. And you literally were like, <laughs> "Oh, food is just fuel to me." <laughs> and we were like, <laughs> so I don't... Ah! What? I don't really I, care. Uh, I always say I like some things more than other and things. Like obviously like, you want yeah, to eat good food, much. but like, yeah, you're not like, yeah. I want to go to this place and try this food specifically. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can only relate to that at home. Like when I'm dining out, yes, like I really enjoy food. I just don't enjoy cooking it. It would just be great if I had Chris, which is my friend, as the in-house chef, and then I would eat I mean, well. we'd <laughs> all then, yeah. our own personal Chris, especially <laughs> the French, the opposite. French, French food. Yes, please. I think I like, like, I quite enjoy baking and, like, you know, cooking sometimes. I often, I don't really spend that much time, like, cooking, like, 
big nice dinners or anything but yeah eating out I'm worse like I was like I'll just eat at Chipotle because it's right near the West End theater like I was like I don't care <laughs> but yeah but, now I've outed myself as a fraud <laughs> no I think I, I think it, could it not, strikes I mean, me as like such a journalistic thing to do to be like this isn't my area of expertise I'm gonna get someone who knows I need to an like, expert and I love that and I love the idea of like weaving it like to me, that's way more authentic than you being like, hmm, what would someone who likes French food say? Like, it's much more authentic to get because, as you'll know from being, a, you know, like sometimes the quotes that people come out with, you're just like that. You couldn't make up the way that that person speaks and it brings this extra character. And I just love that. Oh, totally. Yeah, for sure. And I actually had duck for the first time. I was going to ask about this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, on launch night, and not, not everyone really. was like, "Not a huge yeah. fan, I think." I I wasn't. Yeah, I think I have to try it again, and I don't want to out the place, so it might have something to do with the cooking. But I think poultry and citrus—it's just not for me. But I had so many people DM me, go, "But how about the sunshiny flavors you describe in the book?" And I was, I was like, "That's all made up. This is fiction." I just, I just thought it sounded good. Max's like, and Max's uh, palate might be different to yours. You yeah. know, yeah. you know how some people have like the like coriander taste like soap to them like yeah like yeah I don't have that I love coriander like you know it's maybe Max yeah, Max feels that. the sunshiny warmth <laughs> of the citrus and it might be who's cooking yeah. it you know maybe if Johnny was cooking it yeah I have a few recommendations now that people have sent through so I'm willing to go back there yeah. um I will try it again just to be sure yeah. um but yeah I'm a fraud I'm a big fat fraud <laughs> <laughs> no I love it because I mean mm. You really cannot, like, tell that reading the book. Like, food is such a big part of it, obviously, as we're talking about, and you really cannot tell that you are not the one who was testing out those dishes and writing those recipes and everything, and it's so interesting. I can't believe you the never even The mark of a great writer. <laughs> yeah. My um, magazine work is, like, home renovations and stuff, so I, I love writing about architecture and bench shots and all that sort of stuff. So that definitely helped with the kitchen descriptions. Yeah. Um, but yeah. not the actual food, but definitely kitchens. I worked for a kitchen magazine, like a trade magazine, for four years, and all I wrote about is describing kitchens. Yeah. So I think that helped. Um, but the food stuff, no, we had to develop some new skills to get that on the page. Yeah, but I'm sure, yeah. like, that's the thing. I think as a journalist, you're so used to taking stuff that you have literally no idea about and weaving it into a good story is ikea something you know a bit more about <laughs> and i'm more passionate about just actually like a lay person that i've i've had to go there to get things i don't i don't think i love it or hate it but my sister really loves it she hates me saying this but she is the she's the girl that drags her fiance there on the weekend um, but yeah that idea came actually because the I had to go to the vaccination center in lockdown and Ikea was right near there in Homebush um, in Sydney and it was just that time where you couldn't go out of your radius um, so I took advantage of the fact I had to be out of my radius I popped into Ikea to get some essential photo frames and because I'd been so deprived, I think, like we all were, um, my senses yeah. were alive. And I was like, oh, maybe this is what people like about Ikea. I was suddenly so observational. And I thought all the little homes within the store were so cute. I and them. I pictured living I there. Them. Yeah, yeah. Just to be out of my apartment, I was like, I'll move in here just to look at different walls. So um, that was actually where I, I got the like Ikea spark, but it was just that one visit. And then now it's just returned to normal <laughs> where it's a chore. But in that, in that visit, I loved it. I really want to read this like anthology of Ikea stories that Max is working, <laughs> Max is pulling together in the book. Like I, I do think it is such a, it's just such a fascinating place to see people. And yeah, whenever I walk around, I always, even if I already know what, I need to get and it's not in the top level display bit I'm like I want to walk around the displays because I like imagining what's the family that lives here like what's your life like you know <laughs> yeah it's amazing it's for storytelling yeah. I used to love my mum loves Ikea and we've never lived um, I think in a this place is a thing when Ikea. you don't have an Ikea nearby as well so, just like, yeah oh like in regional God. Queensland we would go to Brisbane or something and like go to Ikea it was very exciting um, and then I moved to Sydney um, 
and I live very close to an Ikea and I went the first four days in a row that I (laughs) moved here. Um, to be fair, we were, you know, you were moving. Like I had to go yeah. for things. Like I needed a dish brush and, you know, potato masher and like all these things. So we went to Ikea. Well, that's the thing. I mean, and that's what Max finds in the book. I don't want to give anything away, but it's kind of like the Macca's menu, even though there can be variations between countries, you know what you're going to get. And so Ikea, you can go and there's the Billy bookcase and there's the, so it's yeah. also just such a familiar crutch for her. Yeah. Like she initially just goes for the air conditioning, which I think a lot of people can relate to as well. Yeah. Yeah. A shopping center um, and then discovers it so much more. Well, it does. It has food. It has childcare. If you've got young That's kids. That's true. Like, I forgot about everything. the crave. So I, oh, yeah. I can see people. how it's a beacon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love the um, movie 500 Days of Summer. So I think subconsciously as well that that made its way into there's a scene, um, well, they go to Ikea and I must have always loved that. Like I obviously love Nora Ephron yeah. movies and I, that has definitely inspired a lot of this book. Um, but 500 Days of Summer and Ikea, I think I've just always loved that fantasy or getting locked in a department store, you know, that yeah. that trope. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And Ikea is such yeah. a great place for it's that so because cool. all of their styling and everything is so next level thoughtful of like this room and this is how everything, you can get everything here. Love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. Um, so as you mentioned before, part of the story involves a trip to France. Um, did you head there yourself like for research or was it based on like past experiences? Tell us about your love of France. Well, I shoot, I presume yeah. <laughs> given that I just feel like the descriptions were very loving and yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I presume I, you love France, or are you also a fraud in this area? Well? Wow, no, harsh. I don't. <laughs> hey, I, I, the travel just in general, I love. Yeah. So, like, I don't think I'll ever write a book that doesn't incorporate travel. It's a big part of my life, especially as a digital marketer. I freelance now for maybe seven years, and so I could be quite nomadic. So, I've been lucky enough to work from different locations. And so at the end of 2019, I actually went and lived in Berlin for three months. I had a good friend living there who actually happened to um, run a co-working space. So I, it was amazing that I had somewhere to work. Um, and it was also just before my surgery. So I did have that, like, got to live life while you can vibe. And I didn't obviously know what was in store for us um, with the world. In early yeah. 2020. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all so, remember. Yeah. Um, and when I was living in Berlin, I actually took an impromptu trip to Paris. Um, I randomly put a post up. I was in Berlin. A good friend of mine who lived in Hong Kong was in Paris and she was like, let's meet up. Um, the flights were so expensive. I actually ended up getting an eight hour train to Paris just to meet her. And it was just one of those whirlwind. I would think I was in the country and I had been to France before and been to Paris before, but this trip was like a 36 hours of just the most ridiculous romanticized time like we <laughs> we went to the best restaurants we, we would we would have annoyed every french person because we were the biggest cliches but it has such a special place in my heart and then i think in lockdown it was where my brain went back to a lot mm. um and so armchair travel was all we could do and so to revisit that on the page just made me really happy so that's why it's kind of like this short sharp really romanticized version of Paris um in the book yeah I just wanted to have the rose-colored glasses um that yeah you really can only get as a tourist um that's in a city for a short time three days and you think you know Paris you know (laughs) like it's Um, just not realistic did you decide on like that element before the French cooking bit or was it the other way around uh, actually, no, French cooking came first and I initially was going to do Montreal because I had a good friend that was um, living in Toronto for a few years and I also had gone to visit her and we went to Montreal and I'd been there for a longer period of time um, and I, I don't know why. And then I thought, I can't, it has to be Paris, like it has to be France. So yeah, I, I initially started writing it with um, her going to Canada and Montreal, which is why Suzette, the mm-hmm. character in the book, is Canadian. Um I just picked her up and transplanted <laughs> Love her that. as you do when you're writing. Yeah. You yeah. know, all the behind the scenes stuff that you don't need to worry about now, but yeah, that's kind of how that happened. Oh, we love the nerdy behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so once you'd, you know, written 
the book. What was your journey to publication like? I think you said before it was about 18 months from when you started. Was that until you got your book deal? Um, my story is a bit like everyone's, no one's story is linear when it comes to their publishing journeys. Um, yeah. but I had done pitching like a, a, Australian society authors, like live pitching and RWA, the romance writers, Australia conferences. So I think I first pitched not this story, but another story in like 2018, 2019. Um, and I, I got so far with them, but they didn't make them to, to obviously to publication, um, and then I actually just decided to do some open submissions, so slush pile. Um, so Pam McMillan has Manuscript Monday. So I just submitted through the online portal, which everyone tells you has a low strike rate. And now I've been so woo-woo on my soapbox about it to everyone because that literally happened to me. So I submitted um, in the December and had an email back like in the February, so a few months later saying, um, can we meet? It was actually a different manuscript that I submitted. So Duck was only halfway oh. done. Yeah, and I had just signed the manuscript I actually submitted to a digital online thing. So I was like, oh, no, this is awful, my chance, and I just signed. So I still met up with them and told them about this manuscript. Um, so initially it wasn't actually even this manuscript that I submitted. So then I kind of had a deadline to get it done quite quickly. So the manuscript was picked up and went to acquisitions. So that was based off, um, yeah, just, I think I had 30,000 words at a time and synopsis. So I was just really lucky that they had already read another full manuscript of mine. Um, so that's yeah. why my biggest tip to spying writers as well is just to keep writing because I wouldn't, if I had just given up when that first manuscript hadn't gone anywhere and it initially did like with a digital deal. Um, but yeah, so I wouldn't have been able to go, but hey, I've got something else. You're still interested. Don't go away. So I was incredibly lucky um, that that happened in that way. Um, and they picked up another book of mine that's coming out in December this year as well. So wow. I've got two books what? actually coming out this year, which, um, yeah, is a bit crazy. Like it's kind that of like, oh, my gosh. Tell yeah. us a bit more about yeah. that. Wow. Yeah, so I'm in structural edits for that right now. Um, they're due in a few days. So that's been interesting for the first time to do promo as well. A thank you. Yes, thank author. you for making time <laughs> yeah, for yeah. us. Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm looking, I'm on Netflix, I'm on Instagram full time right now. That's <laughs> not what you're meant to be doing. <laughs> yeah, of course. And does our brains work any other way? I don't think so. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's also a story with travel and dating. It's called Never Ever Forever. And that story travels from Mudgee to Mumbai. So um, that one, that story visits India. And it's about a, a girl that's fed up with dating, you know, city F boys and moves to the country in the hope of meeting, you know, a kind-hearted farmer. Um, doesn't meet a farmer and ends up in, in Mumbai. So, Should have gone on yeah, farm wants a wife. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, you don't know that one. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's a, the protagonist is a little bit younger than Max. So Max is 30 and um, Rosie is the protagonist in the December book. So, that sounds yeah, so fun. I think, um, yeah, yeah. So it's been interesting so to fun. try and, yeah, to get my head in. And I know that this is kind of like, a career authors you know you're working on one book and you know promoting another book mm. yeah totally yeah. normally we try and be like so we know you've only just like finished this one and this one's come out but like tell us what's next okay. and people go like oh no I've got to write it and they're like oh it'll be you know like a lot of a book a year is so hard yeah I two, think like even <laughs> two books in one year I mean you know actually Karen, like Karen Coma, is... who we also had on this season also has two books coming out this year but one is middle grade oh. one is young adult and I'm pretty okay. sure she and they're actually them, in different publishers. different publishers they just got picked up at the same yeah, time yeah and I think it was a similar case of she already had been working on the middle grade but she had been working on it for years and then the young adult came quite quickly and they both got picked up but two books of the same sort of genre both for adults you know same publisher like that is is a bit crazy <laughs> yeah I think um I am right like you know I don't have the second book syndrome because it's it, I'm not sitting I mean, here going good. but yeah and it's actually quite good at the moment because you know I this book is getting great reviews so I can actually use it to motivate me and see what people like and make some tweaks to the story so it's it could have gone a very different way, but it's actually been quite helpful to get the live feedback. Um, but now, you know, I'm trying to then work on the next one. So it's it's kind of a gamble, which is 
my digital marketing job working for myself, I can scale up and down to a degree. Um, so right now, you know, I'm scaled a bit down, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. So it's a process obviously to build a career in this, if that's what you want and that's what I do want. So I'm kind of willing just to kind of give it my all at the moment. Um, while I can and just kind of see what happens with this opportunity. I think you wait so long for that moment to happen. So when it happens, it's like, okay, we're on, we're going, make let's the most do it. Of it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Having said that, I definitely want to book like a trip to Fiji or something like June-ish maybe. I think I just need a break. Once those structures are in, I think you need a break, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but then I'm sure, you know, give me two days relaxing and I'll be like writing <laughs> notes about people in the pool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always have my phone and writing little notes because I just can't help see story everywhere so it's hard to switch off you know like you guys know you've got creative brain yeah Yeah. it is like the second you start you're like oh my god I need a I need a break and then the second you start relaxing your brain's just like and now I have ideas again yeah yeah Yeah. even when it comes to when I'm just like oh you know I might do some casual book reviews on the side and you know I'll only do it for books that make me think a lot and then I'll read a book and be like, oh my God, I can't stop thinking about this. And now I don't have time to write about it, but I really want to write about it. And like, yeah, I don't know. It just always it's a cycle. It comes yeah. and like, you can't really control it. It's yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm so excited then um, to, to read your next one um, sooner than expected. That's great. I was like, <laughs> I oh, know. I'm going to next year that she's got one coming out. So that's amazing. I know. I think I'm going to be like, surprise everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's yeah that's so so wonderful how exciting and just crazy like how do you feel I guess having got like the last few years just must have been an absolute whirlwind then to have those surgeries to go through that massive monumental life-changing thing and then like this is another huge life-changing thing that you know people will work towards for years and years and years and years to have it all happen in the space of a few years must just be like a bit oh yeah I think it was really, I think the launching that I was able to finally process or like express how I was feeling. And it's that it's like, I got used to a narrative of things not working out and then it swung so far the other way that I was, I got quite comfortable in things not working out. Like I knew my brain knew what to do there and like, we're going to do this. And, And then I've had a really hard time processing. Like I, I know anyway that when people get published, honestly you don't believe it until it's actually physically on the shelf and even then you just think oh someone's run in and put it there like it's really hard to comprehend yeah but because I've just got that massive gap as you said between like you know having some pretty shit years mm. and then you know and this is not all roses but of course like basically my dream fulfilled it has been yeah daily crying more than daily crying um but I'm starting to the adrenaline is starting to like peter out a little bit which is good because you you can't live in that state it's just too much Um, much. but yeah I think it's nice because you know the message of duck is like things can work out and that's literally you know whether I manifested it I don't know if it's like the chicken and egg or the duck and the egg (laughs) yeah the duck and the egg kind of yeah the duck and the duck and the egg um (laughs) yeah it's been it's been hard to wrap my head around uh for sure yeah well congratulations like you have obviously worked really hard for it as well like it's yeah amazing and also like this is the thing too um and I think we spoke about this with Karen Comer as well is that like you know people might say oh my gosh like 18 months and and you had this book written and you had two book deal but like you have spent years working as a writer to sort of hone your craft to the point where you can put out a manuscript and yeah, like have seemingly yeah. like overnight because it's not know, just like your first yeah. attempt at ever writing anything yeah you know? yeah no I did my first writing course at Australian Writer Centre in 2014 creative writing yeah so you know I think it's been more of a decade kind of journey with creative writing yeah. so you have to learn how to structure a book and you know there's so much to learn and now you know I feel like I've gotten better at the formula and learnt what my process is but um yeah it's certainly and any anyone everyone in that has been an overnight success yeah there's obviously so much much behind the scenes and investment yeah I'm curious just because I also do like a bit of marketing and stuff um how do you find like 
juggling creativity in those two different forms of like turning up to write fiction then turning up to have to switch on to like a slightly different but still creative brain of like strategy and marketing and all that sort of stuff do you ever just get like overwhelmed when I was in magazines I don't think I could have written creatively because I was writing such long form content but in digital marketing I'm either writing ad copy or emails or if it's blog posts it's a lot shorter so I find because of the length of the content but then also today and obviously listeners can't see what I'm wearing I had a full editing and writing day today and I'm in overalls. So I also dress differently depending on what I'm doing. And that helps me too. Yeah. I used to have two separate computers and firstly, financially viable when one goes, Mm -hmm. not financially. (laughs) And also then (laughs) I would want to write and then I wouldn't have the right computer. And that was just so silly. Um, So I find that I do try and just, yeah, get in more of a creative headspace. Um, so, but it is hard to context switch. I also just would only do it in like at least a couple hour blocks. Like I would never do 20 minutes of digital marketing, 20 minutes of writing. Yeah. That doesn't work for me. I have to kind of carve out blocks and just know yeah. that this is the time. A bit more divided. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. Yes. Another one for our audio format is that you have earrings with the book cover on. Yeah. So my friend just sent these to me from the UK. So they just arrived. So I had to put them on. I know. And I had meant to get them because I just think it's an initiation. Well, I see every new author have their their earrings. (laughs) And it's something I would have done, but just, you know, the long list of things, I just, it slipped. So I was just overjoyed to get these. They're so cute. Such a nice little gift. They're so cute. I know. So now I might have to put these on as my sign that I'm doing creative writing, you know? Yeah. yeah like they can't do they can't do digital marketing these earrings no, no. <laughs> oh wonderful that, that is such a nice note to end it on where can people find and follow you online well I'm always on Instagram especially right now um so my Instagram is Karina May Wright and my tag used to be or she may not um so obviously Karina May is my last name but these days now that I have contracts and things I have to write a bit more than I used to um and then I've got a website which also yeah you can contact me on which is karinamay.me yeah also Facebook at Karina May Write but I think Instagram's probably the best I do love a chat in the DMs especially yeah hearing from readers or aspiring writers um because I know exactly <laughs> what what everyone's going through it's nice to be bonded I think with other book lovers and people that just get this creative crazy thing we're all here doing (laughs) wonderful absolutely love that thank you so much for joining us especially in a very busy like brain space time of promo and edits and all that sort of stuff we really appreciate it oh no it's been great to have this chat so thank you for having me so much fun we love it thank you you've made me very hungry though (laughs) (laughs) i know this book did make me hungry thank you for listening to better words you can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review. Bye.